0: The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here at Westway Christian Church. And I'm really um, I'm excited about every Sunday, um, but I'm really excited about uh, today. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Hannah Burkle, is the country director from an organization called Rafa House, and she's uh, here with us today, and she's going to share with us um, a little bit about what she does, um, and I would encourage you to come back today at 4 o'clock for more details about Rafa House. Um, A few things come to my mind. I've known Hannah since, um, since like June of 2006. I had been a youth pastor for about seven months, and Hannah was one of the deans at high school camp. So um, I was taking my high school students there, and I met her there. And over over that period of that week, I r- really became uh, good friends with her. And then every year, um, I was constantly reminded of her patience and grace um, with me. What would happen is we would meet in, like, January, and we would begin to plan our camp year and i would write every th- all of notes down on my legal pad and, and i would have that and then about a week and a half after i made all of those notes i would promptly lose that legal pad so the next few months were trying to figure out like what did we talk about what was that conversation like and i'll never forget one year after camp like 3 months after camp i found the legal pad that i had lost in january for the camp that had happened 3 3 months earlier so I did what anyone would do. I put it in an envelope and I mailed it to her. No letter, no note. I just mailed her. I just mailed her the legal pad. Um, the second thing that really struck me about Hannah was and is her her humility. Every year at camp, we would be responsible. We'd create a little booklet for the students, a little devotional booklet um, to use. And Hannah would always Hannah would always include all of the names of the people that worked in the camp. But she would always use like the smallest font possible, like a one-point font, for her own name because Hannah just doesn't. She doesn't want any any glory or any recognition for anything that she does. That's just who she is. Um, so, and then there's a third thing, but I'm going to tell you about that. So, would you welcome Hannah to um, to Westway this morning? So, my third favorite thing about Hannah is every year at camp when, when one of us was going to be, when one of us was going to speak, um, whichever one it was, we would, we would take a moment and we would pray for one another. And that was something that really, that really spoke to me. She's just been such an amazing and incredible friend um, to me, and I am just thankful to be able to pray for you this morning um, in front of our body. So let's pray. Um, God, I ask that you be with Hannah this morning as she as she shares your word to um, to us. I ask that we would be especially attentive to to the life that you are calling us to lead as as Christians. Um, I ask that you would bless the work that she does in Cambodia in bringing um, not just not just physical rescue and and, and physical needs and meeting physical needs, but pointing people to your son, Jesus. So God, be with her right now, um, be with our body as we as we just listen to your word, and it's in your son's name that we pray, amen.
1: Amen. Good morning. Uh, what John conveniently didn't share with you was that he would call and say, hey, I lost my legal pad, and I'm not really sure that I got my part done, and I would conveniently say, I already did it, so, because I just knew how that relationship worked, but No, I'm just kidding. It's nice to be here this morning with you at Westway. Um, We serve a life-giving God, don't we? Amen? Amen. Um, I currently live in Southeast Asia and Cambodia. Cambodia, if you don't know where that is, neighbors, Thailand, Laos, and Vietnam. I'm the country director of Rafa House International. If you don't know much about Rafa House, we work with girls who have been rescued out of the sex trade in particular, but also children who have been raped, um, are victims of sexual exploitation, or human trafficking, or labor trafficking. We also have prevention centers because we'd like to stop trafficking before it starts. One of my favorite but most challenging parts of my job in Cambodia is actually doing staff devotion with my staff. So Cambodia is a predominantly um, Buddhist nation, but it actually started as a Hindu nation, became Buddhist, and also has a lot of animism, so spiritism within it. So working with our staff, I get a lot of questions during staff devotion, so my favorite part is bringing them to a time with Jesus, but the challenging part is the questions that they ask. About three years ago, we went through the Ten Commandments, and I 'll never forget one of my staff who's pretty quiet and pretty shy. Um, we were going talking through about idols and not to have idols before God. and I'll never forget he said, "Well, doesn't the Christian Church kind of have idols?" And I looked at him, and I was like, "Well, what do you mean?" And he goes, "Well You always have a cross hanging up, or we wear the cross around our neck, or we bow before the cross, or we bring things before the cross. He goes, and in the Buddhist culture, we do that with Buddha. And I sat there and I thought, wow, that's rather profound. You know, when you think about the cross, it was really a sign of execution during the time of Christ, and yet it's also got a lot of power symbolism, powerful symbolism about the fact that Christ died on it for us. And so I was humbled as I thought about when he was asking me this. And as I thought about it, I thought in some ways as Christians, we do idolize the cross. Because we often forget about the fact that he rose from the dead as well. And so there's so much victory in the fact of the empty tomb. And as I thought about it, it was really very humbling for me to consider how important the cross is but often we keep the sin there and we stay at the cross and become very complacent as Christians and we idolize that. And so I was humbled to consider the fact that it was important for me also to look at the empty tomb and the beautiful part of coming to that part of salvation as well. So please don't misunderstand me. The cross is essential to our faith and the sacrifice Christ made on the cross is what tore the veil for us to be able to be in communication with God and his sacrifice on the cross saves us from our sins. But we have to stop and consider, are we waiting in our sin at the cross of Jesus? Or have we become complacent? Or are we being transformed by the sacrifice Christ made on the cross and daily walking with him toward the empty tombs of our own lives, toward eternity with him? Is there an urgency in our faith for eternity with God? Living and growing in community with my staff um, in Cambodia and our girls and their families has instilled this importance of urgency, of never walking alone. God did not intend for us to walk alone in this life. And living in community has afforded me the opportunity to share the gospel, to speak truth to the Khmer people, to my own family, and honestly, to whoever I encounter. God created each of us for community. Living in community is life-giving. Now, just so that you know, I'm not always good at being the person that allows people to walk alongside or to love on me. As John was sharing, I don't usually like to be noticed or seen And so, living with different personalities, God keeps continually teaching me and humbling me in different ways to remind me that community is essential for all of us. This morning, I want to discuss the importance of why we should never walk alone. Sorry. And how we should be intentional about living in community. God has been teaching me about the importance of being vulnerable in my relationships, building community that will enable me to be accountable for my life and my actions. As we dive into scripture, I would like to encourage each one of us, I'm sorry, my voice is cracking, to the importance of vulnerability, community, and accountability, to recognize how throughout scripture God teaches and guides us to be vulnerable. Is vulnerability difficult for you? Having your life exposed to other people, why is it difficult? When you think about living in community, why is community difficult? Is it because of the different personalities? Is it because people want to hold you accountable? And accountability, do you have people that really you are able to share things with in your vulnerability, through your community, that help you to walk and grow closer in Christ? Is God the center of the relationships you're currently involved in? Why or why not? Consider from the very beginning with me how God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have lived in community from the very beginning. Genesis 1, 1, and 2 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. From the very beginning, they were already together. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have lived in community since before we can even imagine. Why then would we think we should live solo or independently from other people? Why would we want to? When you think about it from early childhood, children will say, no, I can do it myself. Teenagers often use phrases like, I'm not a baby, I can do this on my own. Or, I'm an adult, you can't tell me what to do. Probably everyone's favorite. And yet God doesn't want us to do things alone because we learn from one another. From the the beginning, the three in one existed. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been in community forever. Jesus' ministry on earth, when you consider how he started it out, he invited 12 men to be his disciples. Scripture says, Now the names of the 12 apostles are these, the first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother Philip and Bartholomew, sorry, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Of those 12 men, he was in close relationship with three of them, John, Peter, and James. Three close friends. John, the one that we know is the one called the one whom Jesus loved, Peter, the rock, and James, the son of Zebedee and the brother of John. Jesus speaks in community to hundreds of thousands of people. And yet so often, we don't consider the importance of community. You were created for community, to be with Christ in community, and to be with other believers. Today we're going to focus in Ecclesiastes. So if you want to open your Bibles, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, it'll also be up on the screen. It says, two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You were created for community. In order for us to build on and really grow in community, we have to be vulnerable, to learn to confess to one another, to humble ourselves, and to ask for help which I'm sure you can relate to the fact that that's a difficult thing to do. We also have to build community. Where two or more are gathered, Christ is there. Does that ever resonate like how quickly we want to be independent, we want to control things, we want to be solo? And somehow that makes us feel like then we're stronger. And yet where Christ constantly says, where two or more are gathered, he's there. Doesn't that seem like more strength? The strength in numbers. Build community where two or more are gathered, Christ is there. Become accountable. The truth will set you free. I often think accountability and probably vulnerability can be two of the hardest things to even consider. It's not fun to be exposed to people, and yet there's so much freedom when we bring things to other people to walk through life with us or to teach us because of the experiences they've had. And accountability, knowing someone cares for you that much that they're going to call you out on things. First, we must be vulnerable. God is with us. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10a says, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Matthew 1, also says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God provided a woman for Adam. Why? Because the Lord God said it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then the reason for vulnerability often is because our pride gets in the way of it. So humility is so important. James five sixteen says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. In the past 7 to 10 years, I've experienced a lot of loss and a lot of grief. My parents, after 41 years, got divorced I became a legal guardian for two children that um, had really experienced a lot of pain in their lives and didn't want a relationship. And more recently, I had two major surgeries this past year. And honestly, through most of those things, being vulnerable was one of the hardest things for me, or allowing community to help me through those. And very honestly, one thing I don't always love about my personality is that God usually has to Stop me in my tracks for me to hear it and see it. When oftentimes, you know in scripture, when you look at Mary and Martha or even John and Peter, I always want to be the John or the Mary who sits down and listens to God, but I'm often the Martha or the Peter who either is running around keeping busy doing things or cuts the ear off, you know, the guard. And then as Jesus is being taken away to be crucified, he has to heal someone. And yet, God loves all of us and wants us to be a part of that community. And so, it's powerful when we slow down and we consider that even in the hurts and even in the pains of our life, God doesn't walk away from us. And honestly, in those times, He's even more ever present. I often feel like God forces me, but probably, maybe I just felt forced when I have to be vulnerable. God often also prepares me in other people's lives. In Cambodia, um, one of our staff, Jan, she's one of our counselors, and there's a picture of her up on the screen, but Jan also is one of our former girls. And Jan had the experience three years ago that God really taught me a lot through. Jan came to Rafa House um, very broken and very hurt. Her story was very painful, and yet she came on staff with us asking first if she could be a house mother to walk alongside the girls that we were also facing what she had faced. And then she quickly became a counselor, as that was really the heart of who she is. But three years ago, Jan had actually been married five years previously, and I got to be there for that. And honestly, for many of our girls, the vulnerability of even being married is pretty powerful because of what they endured, the things that they faced. To have a man even in their lives is pretty much a miracle. So to have watched her get married was powerful, and then to have given birth to a little girl was a beautiful thing. But two years into their marriage, Jan was in a horrible accident. So three years ago, I got a call, a pretty frantic call from my mutual friend of Jan and mine, and they said that she was actually in the hospital. You can go back to the other picture, sorry. Um, But Jan was actually in the hospital, and what happened was she had been hit by a motorcycle, and she was eight months pregnant. So the horror of the story was that she was eight months pregnant. And when I got to the hospital, Jan um, was laying in the bed and was bleeding profusely from her head. And what you have to know about Cambodia is the sanctity of human life is very, very low. So not a lot is done quickly to help people if they can't pay for it. And so we rushed to try to help Jan with everything that we could do, but at the same time, the, the doctors were coming in the room with an ultrasound. And as they turned it on, we found out that Jan had a tear in her uterus and that blood was pooling. And so their little son had already passed. And it was a very painful situation. But even in the midst of it, as they were bringing in the ultrasound, Jan looked at me and she said, in all of her exposed self, she goes, you know what, if God wants to take my son home with him today, he will. And in that moment I thought, From the pain of what she endured through human trafficking to then being vulnerable enough to marry someone and giving birth to then laying there on this bed not knowing if she would even live and then God taking her son home. God taught me so much more about vulnerability and prepared me for so many different times in my life to learn to be vulnerable to him and to the people that he puts in our path. Today, maybe you're angry with God or you're afraid to be exposed to other people. Please hear me say, God can handle your anger. Take your anger to him. Expose yourself to him in that way. He is big enough to handle it. He places other believers in your path. He often prepares us for those people. And he will use them to help you be vulnerable be exposed. It is freeing and life-giving. Satan wants us to hide our sins and our lives, and God wants us to expose them so that that sin can be taken away. Allow the tomb to be open in your life. Don't wait with your sin at the cross. Lay it down, and there will be a lot more to do as you run to the empty tomb. So in my own life, which I don't always love to talk about, the past year has forced me to be vulnerable. I got to come home for the first time for Christmas I'm um, in five years from Cambodia. While I was home, I had a great time with my nieces and nephews. It was a lot of fun running around and playing. And as I was getting ready to go back to Cambodia on January 2nd, I was in my hotel in Chicago, and I literally and physically felt this force come from the back of my body to the front, and I fell to the floor. And in that moment, I decided that probably I just had a kidney stone. Doctors love me. I'd self diagnose quite often. Um, But I decided it was probably just a kidney stone, and I was fine. And so I continued to fly on to Los Angeles. And so I get to Los Angeles, and it's now been almost 24 hours that I've been in some kind of chronic pain. And honestly, I don't usually have my executive director or my mom call me the day that I'm getting ready to fly out, but both of them called. And in that moment, I was explaining this pain that I was enduring, and I started to cry, which, if you know me very well, I'm not an easy crier. And they both were like, why don't you go to the ER? And so instead, I went to urgent care because heaven forbid I was going to go to the ER first and actually have something taken care of. So I waited for three and a half hours at urgent care, went in, and basically had to ask the doctor to feel how hard my abdomen was. And he looked at me nervously and said, you're going to need to go to the ER. Had I just listened, I would have been done faster. So I went to the ER and learned very quickly that at the ER, you just say you're in like level 10 pain. But again, I didn't and waited eight and a half hours at the ER, which then put me at 36 hours in this chronic pain that I didn't know what was going on. And I can honestly say sitting there and not knowing what was going on or what was going to happen started a lot of vulnerability in me. I then had to go in and the doctors spent a lot of times doing a lot of different tests and come to find out that there was a soccer ball-sized mass of some sort in my abdomen that was causing all of that pain. And even there, they told me I had to go on to a specialist because they didn't know if it was cancer or if it was a cyst. And so either way, either one could kill me. And here I had just been home for Christmas, playing with my nieces and nephews, and had no idea that internally this was going on. At that moment, I felt very exposed to God. You know, not sure what was going on. I was ready to go back on the field to do mission work. So why were some of these things happening? I felt exposed to my staff because, honestly, they usually see me as a lot of strength. I'm 100 pounds when I'm wet, but I have a big mouth. And so it was hard to be able to tell them that I wouldn't be coming back for a time. And for my family, it was hard because I am usually a lot of strength, so having to know that they were going to have to help me was very humbling. Sorry. And honestly, the hardest part was having the idea of cancer looming over. It was very scary. My family has cancer in it, and watching people go through that is very painful. I used to be proud of the high pain tolerance that apparently I have to have a Soccer ball-sized cyst in my abdomen. I no longer am because it causes a lot of pain and a lot of detriment to my body. But while difficult and painful, being vulnerable physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually has allowed me to rely on God a lot more. And having watched Jan go through what she did a few years previously, it helped me to be prepared to walk through that with God at my side. Are you vulnerable with God? Who in your life are you able to be exposed to or vulnerable with? In my situation, I listed all those people that God placed before me, that I just had to make the choice to allow them to breathe life into me during that time and to share with them the fears that I was experiencing. What areas of your life do you need to be vulnerable or exposed in? Do you trust God that two are better than one? Secondly, as we build community, or as we grow in community, we have to allow ourselves to build community with other people that maybe sometimes we wouldn't have guessed would be the people that would breathe life into us. Ecclesiastes 4, 10b, and 11 says, But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Matthew 18, 19, and 20 says, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth Agree about anything they ask for. It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Medically speaking, they often say that if a baby doesn't have um, community or different things like that after they're born, that often they start to die or get very sick. Psychologically, they say that people get depressed because they are living in isolation. And even God tells us that where two or more are gathered, there you'll live more holy. Community is key to our very health and well-being. It helps us to keep us honest. When you look at scripture, the first things that Jesus did in the beginning were to ask 12 men to walk with him. And then he consistently spoke to people all around the world to breathe life into them. He also took time away with God. He built community with God and himself. Scripture talks about the importance of fellowshipping together. How are you living in community personally? Are you in small groups? Are you in Sunday school? Do you have people that hold you accountable? As I shared with you about Jan, she was amazed and thankful for the family and friends that walked with her through everything that she went through. This is her husband, Sumbach, in the picture as well. Honestly, they were so much of an influence for the community that they live in Um, as they walked through the pain of losing their son. Sumbak is a very honest man, and he grieved honestly. Watching his grief that day as he got to the hospital, I had gotten to the hospital before Sumbak. he was an hour away. And so if you can imagine getting that call, and then arriving there, and Jan had to be rushed into the waiting room, as I shared with you, they waited till Sumbak got there. So Jan was bleeding internally and externally from her head. And they would not allow us just to pay for it. Her husband had to arrive first. So they got her back just in time, honestly, to save her life. And Abigail, her daughter, had actually been on the motorcycle with her, but Jan's body had shielded her, and so she only had scrapes and bruises. But the community of people that were already at the hospital from our organization, from her family, had been supporting Jan and Sumbak as soon as he arrived. But I'll never forget as soon he kept his strength up until Jan went back, and then he just started weeping in my arms. And my HR manager was also there, and he started weeping in his arms. And to see the vulnerability and to see the community of people was such a powerful thing. In Cambodia, and often in America, when a baby is eight months old, And if it's a loss of life, they'll still bring the baby out for someone to hold the baby. And at first, I didn't know if they would do that in Cambodia. And they don't, because of the lack of sanctity for human life, they don't always take you back to a room. They just do it in front of anyone that's in the waiting room. And I wasn't sure if they were going to do that. And then all of a sudden, I see this woman walking out with this baby wrapped in cloth. And as I shared with you, culturally, there's a lot of... um, fear of spirits because of spiritism and so Sambach didn't know even as a Christian what he was supposed to do in that situation because it just doesn't happen that often so he put his hands over his eyes and just continued weeping and I'll never forget that this woman just walked up to me and all I could think of in that moment was what would Jan have wanted to do with this baby and so I nestled that baby in and I just prayed for their family and in that moment, Sambach, as I started to walk back to the nurse with the baby, put his arms out, and he held his baby for he and Jan and released their son to God. But imagine if we as a community had not walked alongside them. Imagine the shame or the fear or the pain that he would have felt later on because he wouldn't have taken that time and that opportunity. Often the simplest things of walking alongside people you don't have to be a counselor. You don't have to be a doctor for them. But being a part of their community can be life changing. Getting to walk alongside Jan and Sumbak was so humbling and yet so powerful because it taught me so much, but it also taught our staff so much about their faith, the honesty that they felt in their grieving, and how they opened their doors and have shared so much to their community about how powerful God is when we allow people to walk with us. Vulnerability led to my need for building better community. Last January, the doctors found that I had a soccer ball-sized cyst in my abdomen, obviously causing damage to all of my organs. I had to have emergency and major surgery. The size of the cyst was already so damaging, but they let me know that there were two liters of blood inside the cyst. So had it popped, um, I would have died from internal bleeding. So my doctor um, that worked with me on it, she kept telling me that I could not go exercise. I had to stay seated. You know, I couldn't move around. And she was really honest in saying, but just so you know, you could be sitting and it could still pop. Just like that day when all of a sudden I felt this force move forward. And the powerful part was my surgeon's a Christian And so the way that she built community by loving on me and praying for me even before my surgery was a very powerful and humbling thing. My mom was obviously in a lot of fear because the idea of losing a child was very painful and at the forefront of her mind because of how severe it was. But the truth is, and the powerful part of all of it, was that God built so so much community I got to joke around with and talk with the doctors and nurses, but also feel the presence of God through them. And the people from my office, as well as from my staff in Cambodia, truly were a huge encouragement to me through that time. And honestly, after my recovery, I was pretty quick to head back to Cambodia, and so I went back. And a few months back in Cambodia, um, I was actually helping lead a team. We have safe houses in four different locations. So we have them in Cambodia, we have them in Thailand, Haiti, and then in an undisclosed country just for the safety of the missionaries there. But I was leading a team heading over to Thailand, and so when I was going to Thailand, um, I just thought, I'm going to be proactive and just go make sure no more cysts have been growing now that I had had this problem. So after the team left, I decided to go in and have an ultrasound in Thailand. If you don't know much about Cambodia, you don't want to have to go to the doctor there. So Thailand was a better fit. So while I was there, again, I don't speak much Thai, So the the tech that was doing my ultrasound, she all of a sudden said, uh. And in any language, uh, when someone's looking inside you, is not really what you want to hear. And so uh is rather universal. So I knew that wasn't good. And she said, hey, have you had something wrong with your kidney? And I was like, what? I just had a soccer ball-sized cyst. And I said, no, she goes, you're going to have to go talk to the urologist. So I went to the urologist, and again, different countries, sweet people, the urologist kept smiling at me. So your kidney's failing, and I was like, I don't know that this is a good thing. I don't know that we should be smiling about it. And I said, okay, so what should I do? And he was like, well, you're going to have to have surgery, and he just kept smiling. And I said, so can you tell me, could I make it back to America before the kidney fails? And he was like, I can't promise that. So I said, well, can you tell me if this kidney will cause this kidney to fail? And he said, no. And I said, then I can live with one kidney. So God, again, brought a lot of community together, and I prayed a lot. Um, but my, I was able to get a plane ticket, which if you know much about flying from Southeast Asia to America, it's usually a long process. And I was on a flight that was only 19 hours. So I rushed back to America, and they had me in surgery within a couple hours From when I was back come to find out that I had been diagnosed with what's called endometriosis so it was affecting everything in my abdomen and it actually had cut off all circulation to my left kidney and so they took me in to try to put stints in and they didn't work so then I was told I was going to have to have a pretty major surgery that was going to last six hours and I was actually going to then at that time have to have a full hysterectomy. They were going to have to cut the ureter and reattach it to open up my kidneys. And possibly, I was going to have to have a colostomy bag on the outside of my body because the endometriosis had had fingers basically into my bowels and my bladder, and were smashing them together. And in that time, as I already shared with you, vulnerability is not my easiest thing and being exposed. And having to find out that this kind of surgery was going to happen And if I had had a clostomy bag on the outside of my body, I would not be going back to Cambodia because they don't have the medical care there to take care of that. And this was a very painful, for me, situation to have to think about. Maybe you've been in situations like that where things are life-altering. And the people that came alongside me during this time were very humbling. My family, staff, and friends really stepped up to help with my physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual needs. Which, again, I'm usually that person for my family. So it was a very humbling and powerful situation. My associate directors were in a picture just a little bit ago up there um, where we were, yep, this wasn't our smartest move. We all went to Thailand and went into a lion cage. So we could have lost all of our leadership at the same time. My executive director, Stephanie, wasn't so pleased, told us maybe not to do that the next time. But they had all really stepped up during the time that I was sick and took care of a lot of things that were going on with the government and different things in Cambodia that needed to be done, which brought me a lot of relief during my recovery. My leadership team in Cambodia is the next picture, Um, but they work with our girls and with our staff. I'm blessed to have 121 staff in Cambodia, and I have 15 managers. And during that time, to watch them really be empowered to do the work that needs to be done there was powerful to see. Honestly, we would all like to work ourselves out of jobs so trafficking wouldn't be happening anywhere in the world. And so to see them be as confident as they were brought, again, a lot of peace. My mom wouldn't leave my side. I don't know if there's a picture. So my mom is the one that looks just like me but she wouldn't leave my side. And then Stephanie is our executive director and Angela working on um, Joplin as well. And they kept bringing us food and kept supporting me in different ways. Do you have people in, this, in your life that are like this? That come alongside you and are part of your community? The last picture is a group of my friends. John's in that picture. But who have been part of community for me in a long, for a long time and in a spiritual way. They're people that call me out on things or can breathe life into me in a different way. Who are you in community with, and how do you walk alongside one another? Are you making time to commune with God and believers for encouragement so that you receive life-giving support? Lastly, we have to become accountable. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. John eight thirty one and 32 says, To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John eight thirty four through 36 says, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. This passage is often used in weddings. I believe this verse is important for every relationship we're in. Imagine if Christ was the center and, or the third strand in every relationship that you're in. How powerful and transforming would that kind of accountability be? The truth will set you free. You are no longer on the cross when you are able to come to this place of accountability with God and with other believers. You're allowing yourself to be exposed, living in community and allowing others to speak life into you. You are running towards the empty tomb, and there is so much freedom in that act of obedience to God. Vulnerability, community, and accountability are life-giving. You never walk alone. Jan and Sumbach allowed themselves to grieve their losses and to rejoice in the fact that their gift of Jan's life and their daughter Abigail They received counseling and continued medical help for Jan. They grieved and loved deeply. They allowed themselves to be vulnerable and broken, and their Christian brothers to walk alongside them. And they accepted that. We have to accept accountability in order for it to be effective. Sumbak has recently begun to work for us at Rafa House in our prevention program, so it's powerful to see his wife in the Program working with our girls in our safe house, and then he's working with our prevention program to help other boys raise up to know Christ and to respect women and value them. They allowed their pain and loss to give God glory. They have allowed the third strand to be the center of their lives and to lead them through difficult times. Recently, we had a girls' retreat, and I asked Jan and Sumbach to come and to share their testimony. As was shared earlier, God comes in the difficult times and we need people through the difficult times. And so for our girls to see that they could be vulnerable, that they could have accountability, that they can live in community by an example of someone else who lived what they lived and to see that she has a husband that loves Jesus in a culture that is less than 1% Christian was such a powerful example for accountability for them and for all of our staff, and for the people at the resort that we were staying at. They chose to be exposed in a way that people could learn from them, to be accountable to God first, and then to the people in their lives. Through this humbling life experience of my own, so many things have happened in the past seven years, and God has blessed me abundantly and humbled me in ways that I didn't even imagine I needed. He's taught me so much through the people who've walked this journey with me, And he has used their lives to reach me in a different way that I didn't know I needed and to guide me. I was missing so much about God's life-giving spirit by being in community with people. I still battle wanting to be in control or living independent. But when I walk in community, I'm so much more fulfilled. My mom was my biggest support and strength through the whole experience. Like I said, she wouldn't leave my side, so she was there for both surgeries But the powerful part of all of this was my older sister Sarah and I have always kind of had a little bit of an estranged um, relationship. And Sarah wouldn't leave my side. She came during that time. She even came back for one of my final doctor's appointments. And to see how God, through the accountability that we have with him and with other people, can bring healing in a time of pain, taught me so much more about accountability. Honestly, I came back uh, a few months later to get to speak in Alaska, and my mom and my sister and I went on a trip together to Alaska, which was very telling of the healing of what only God can do, even through the pain of things of life. At this point, we're on quite the road of growing together, and now I've been staying with her in Dallas when I'm back here in the United States. None of this is easy, please hear me say that. It was also difficult, painful, and somewhat telling of the people that I thought would be part of my community, but were not. And I had to grieve that as well. We often think that we're going to build people into our community, and we miss how life-giving it is when God brings people to us to be a part of that community. I didn't think my sister would probably be that part of community, and yet she was. My younger siblings continue to show up and encourage my siblings are adopted from Korea and the Philippines. And it was powerful to see them come alongside during that time as well. They're very honest with me, so the accountability there was a beautiful and painful thing. Again, as I shared, my mom was there through the whole thing. And honestly, probably the most humbling part was I had to have a catheter for a month. And I had to have a pick line put in because I had a really bad infection during my recovery. And to have someone else take care of you physically when... My mom's 61, so I'm preparing myself for how I'm going to help take care of her as she ages. It was so humbling to see her get on the floor and help with different things that I wanted to be doing for her. That kind of accountability was powerful and awful, but beautiful to see how God provided that. A senior pastor friend of mine that I worked with in Iowa was relentless in his pursuit of accountability and relationship with me, as was his wife and his daughter. They had people all over the world praying for me and sending money to help with all of my medical needs and bills. One of my accountability partners and friends in Cambodia, she and her husband, were a huge encouragement to me as well. And they took care of my house and prepared it because of all of the different things going on. I couldn't be exposed to different bacteria or... Um, just anything, dust, anything like that. So they came and prepared my home. My executive director and sister, Stephanie Freed, as you can see how humble she is, she was even fixing my shoes at one of our things, but she came and encouraged me and stayed at the hospital for all of my surgeries. To say that vulnerability, community, and accountability that I faced and continued to absorb was humbling and powerful is an understatement. God never intended for us to walk alone. Please hear me say this is not a simple concept. I've been in ministry for 20 years, and it took two major surgeries to open my eyes to how much I was missing, to how much of a hypocrite I was. I was often telling other people they needed community, or they needed to be vulnerable, or they needed to be accountable. And yet I was the one missing the beauty of all of that. Never walk alone. You were created for community. Be vulnerable. Learn to confess to one another. Build community where two or more gather. Christ is there. Become accountable. The truth will set you free. You were created for community. What will it take for you today to be vulnerable with God and the trustworthy people he's placing in your path? To build community and allow others to walk alongside you in this journey of life and to become accountable to others in a way that, that you're able to leave your sin at the cross and allow the life-giving Holy Spirit to lead you to the empty tomb and the hope of eternity with Christ. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for the people that you put in our lives. I thank you for the humbling moments that we obviously need and can rejoice in. God, I thank you that you created us to not be left alone in this world. I pray that you would help us to open our hearts just to the vulnerability that you want us to share and to expose ourselves with. God, that you would allow us to build community in a way that we couldn't have even imagined that we needed. And God, that you would bring people in our lives that can hold us accountable so that, God, we can grow in you and that we can run towards you in a way that we can see your outstretched arms and allow you to bring us comfort. God, I thank you for the people in this room and I pray that you would overwhelm their spirits in a way, God, that they would not leave here without seeing how life-giving you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen.